Now for Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. 804-454-1366. Good morning and welcome to Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk Radio Show. This is attorney Colleen Quinn of the law firm Locke and Quinn. And today we're going to talk about uh, gestational carriers and surrogates. Um, but before we start talking about surrogacy, I just want to remind you that Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk radio show, brings an exciting and varied array of legal topics to listeners throughout Central Virginia, and especially in the greater Richmond area. At least once per week on Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., our one-hour show features true-life stories and cases, legal tips and information from experts and specialists, and from folks that have actually gone through certain legal experiences. We're going to uh, also have a number, a variety of different shows that talk about a lot of different areas of the law. The law touches nearly every aspect of daily life, and this show brings both humorous and entertaining stories, along with some helpful tips, including tips on access to legal services, something that not everyone can afford. So um, just be reminded that Lock and Quinn is located right next to the Chipotle and now the Chick-fil-A at Willow Lawn. So you can come and uh, dine on a variety of different options at Willow Lawn while also getting your legal services. Lock and Quinn focuses on personal injury and uh, also family law. We also do estate planning and employment law. And in particular, uh, I run an adoption and surrogacy law center, which brings us to today's topic, which is surrogacy. So with me today is my client and three-time surrogate, Brooke Kalan. Good morning, Brooke. Good morning. So nice to have you here today. And as we talk about surrogacy, if anybody would like to call into the show, please call in at 804 454 1366. Again, 804 454 1366. So, Brooke, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am a mother of four now and a school teacher as well. So, I lead quite a busy life. You do, absolutely. (laughs) And um, in the car ride on over this morning, we were talking about your fourth child, which was actually your seventh pregnancy, right? Yes, ma'am. And that was, uh, that that little girl was was kind of uh, an accident, but a good accident. She was our surprise blessing, we call her. There you go. So um, what prompted you to think about being a gestational carrier? Um, Actually, my sister-in-law had been going through some fertility issues And we had offered, um, when we were pregnant with our third son, to um, carry for her. And she actually decided to pursue a different route, but I had already started doing the research and I had reconnected with an old friend of mine from high school who was a surrogate in Texas. And she had shared a a lot of information about it. And so I was just really um, already involved in the process and I really wanted to help someone become a a family. So at that point, you had pretty much thought, "I'm going to do this for somebody," yes. and it didn't. It didn't happen to be your sister-in-law, but you said, "I'm going to go down this path because I think this is just a, a good thing to do." Absolutely. And when we talk about surrogacy, we use that term kind of loosely because there's 
a, a gestational carrier is actually somebody that gestates the child, but is not biologically connected to the child, right? Right. Yeah. So, um, so you would be carrying a child that was uh, biologically um, from the sperm and egg of another couple. Yes. Right. And then a true surrogate is actually one that does use her own egg. And of course, um, that is a completely different type of situation yes, um, because it's, it would be much more difficult if it was if the child was biologically connected to yes, you. Yes. I don't think I could have been a traditional surrogate. Yeah. Um, so when you were doing that research, uh, what, where did you look for, for research on becoming a surrogate? Um, actually, my friend from Texas, um, I, actually online is where we reconnected on Facebook, and she um, showed me a few different websites that I think some of them no longer exist because it was so many years ago. But um, basically online is where I found a lot of my information and just some of the Facebook groups, and um, there's actually a lot of information out there that yes. it's easy to find now. Um, and speaking of Facebook, we are on Facebook Live on the Lock and Quinn Facebook page. So um, if you'd like to view this by video rather than just audio, uh, please like us on uh, Lock and Quinn on the Facebook page and you can pick up this video live. So um, when, when we're talking about somebody being a surrogate, um, typically you enjoy being pregnant. Is that the case? I, I did. I had wonderful pregnancies, no morning sickness, um, and was very thankful for, for that. And you had had the three boys before you decided you were going to, to be a surrogate, is yes. that right? Yes, we had three boys of our own at that time. Okay. And your husband, Danny, he was completely supportive and on board? He was, and I think that's a very important aspect of being a surrogate, is your husband has to be supportive because they're involved tremendously. And... Uh, he also knew that you were a happy pregnant person because if you were a grumpy one, he probably wouldn't have been as supportive, right? Right, right. So how did you figure out how to get matched with some intended parents? Um, again, my friend that I had reconnected with on Facebook, she put me, um, connected me to a website called Surrogates Online is the one that I used. And that's where I actually met my first couple. Um, I posted an ad and had tremendous responses and I basically got to choose who I wanted to carry for. Um, and then I reached out to you to represent me. So um, that's how I met my first couple. We talked and reconnected for a while and um, just got to know each other before I decided I wanted to carry for them. And what were you looking for in those intended parents? Um, I was looking for somebody who wanted to keep in touch because I wanted to know what happened to those children um, that I had carried. And then I also was looking at someone who did not want to abort um, because I did not want to abort unless there was something dramatically wrong that was going to cost me my life because I had to think of my three children as well. Right. Um, so that was very important. We had to agree on abortion and we had to agree on wanting to keep in touch afterwards. And that's what we find when we are matching um, intended parents and surrogates is that we need to make sure that um, folks that are more of a pro-life mindset are matched with pro folks of a more pro-life yes. mindset and vice versa. Folks that are more pro-choice need to be matched with folks that are also more pro-choice. Right. So we don't have a disconnect in terms of you know, religious views or just general views of, of life and sanctity of life. Yes. So, um, and also uh, a, 
a website now is uh, Soro, Soro Moms Online, I think, um, where a lot of folks are placing yes. ads, et cetera, or matching through fertility clinics or surrogacy programs or um, actually at Locke and Quinn and the surrogacy. The Adoption and Surrogacy Law Center, we actually match for free. We were talking about that. Right. Um, Virginia has an anti-surrogacy broker statute, so nobody can charge compensation for actually putting surrogates and intended parents together. So that actually has to be done for free, the matching part in Virginia, um, whereas coordination of services and legal services and whatnot um, uh, can be charged. So how did you find me? Um, I think I just... Googled online <laughs> surrogate um, lawyers or adoption surrogacy lawyers, and your name came up. So. And, and that means my SEO uh, website guys are doing a good job. That's right. right. So let's talk a little bit about the geographic proximity of the intended parents and you during the process. How important is that to be kind of close to them? I think for me, it was important. I know there, I've seen surrogates on the Facebook boards who are further apart. But to me, that was important because I wanted to have that relationship with the family. Um, the first couple that I carried for actually live in Maryland. So it was a little bit further, but they're outside, right outside of DC. So not too far from Richmond. So they were able to make it to all the appointments and um, be there for the delivery and everything. And that, that was very important to me that they were close enough to come to the appointment, so it didn't feel like it was my pregnancy. I wanted them to be as much a part of the pregnancy as they could be. Yeah, and so then the other um, families that you carried for, where were they located at generally? Um, the second family I carried for actually lived five minutes from me. Wow. So they were very, uh, many times she would pick me up on the way to the doctor and, you know, we would ride together, which was great, a great bonding time for us. And then the third couple, <clears throat> excuse me, also lived in Richmond and they've since moved um, to Charlottesville, which is not too far away. So um, I still get to see the second and third couple. The first couple, I don't see them as often anymore just because of distance. Right. So, so it was really important to you that they experience the, preg the pregnancy yes. um, as part of the whole process. Absolutely. And many of these couples um, have had a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. They've suffered miscarriages, et cetera. So yes. kind of going through that whole pregnancy process can be a very emotionally rewarding piece. Um, and I, I think that you, you truly appreciated that part of it. Yes, that's what I wanted them to be a part of because I wanted them to experience a pregnancy from the beginning to end. Right. So um, we have uh, at the Adoption Surrogacy Law Center, um, we have some intended parents that are in China and in England and in Germany. And of course, uh, that's uh, a much more difficult um, process for the surrogates that are caring for those those families in foreign right. countries, you know, because they can Skype or they can WeChat chat or they can Google Hangout and or Tango or all the different, you know, um, video type uh, chat options that are out there, or internet chat options. But still, those folks can't come to the medical appointments and really have a, a better, a closer experience. Right. And, I, and there's nothing, to me, there's nothing like seeing your baby on... That, that ultrasound for the first time and to be there in person, I, I really wanted that for those families. And you get to see their faces light up when they <clears throat> when they see that ultrasound. Yes, and that that was so so rewarding. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about what the qualifications are to be a gestational carrier. Um, what were what were some of those those qualifications that you needed to have to pass muster? 
Um, I had to do a very intensive medical screening, um, blood work and checking all my womanly parts to make (laughs) sure that they worked appropriately. Um, You had to be, I believe, over 21. Um, It's been a few years now. I think that's the age (laughs) that it is. Is that right? Yes. Um, (laughs) And so, um, and then also having carried your own children successfully before and not having difficulties while being pregnant was also um, what the fertility center wanted as well. And then the aspect of going through psych evals, uh, my husband and myself, and also the intended parents, the couples that I was caring for, they all, we all had to go through psyche vows um, in order to go through the process as well. Make sure that you could all withstand going through the process mentally. So the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, they keep changing their guidelines quite frequently in the surrogacy world. Um, The most recent guidelines coming out in February of 2017. And uh, again, just kind of uh, reiterating how important those psych evaluations are. And then also uh, the group counseling, everybody sitting down and kind of talking about uh, what's the level of contact we're going to have, right. what's the level of communication we're going to have, uh, what, it's, what is it going to look like after the birth, um, you know, is is it the type of arrangement which, which you wanted, which was to get just some updates on how those children you carried were doing. Yes. So, um, also those ASRM guidelines, uh, well, the, one of the first thing is, is that you need to get cleared by your OBGYN, mm-hmm. right? So you need to make sure you have... Yeah, so I first had to have um, an evaluation done by my personal OBGYN, and then I went through more testing with a fertility doctor as well. So you had the psych testing and then all that medical clearance. Yes. As well. Um, And then, of course, during the pregnancy, uh, you have to abstain from, you know, any drugs, tobacco, alcohol, et cetera. Um, but now we have the, you also have to drink plenty of water and avoid, you know, fish with, that might have, or foods that might have mercury. Um, and you can't have any uh, tattoos or piercings or henna or introduce your body to dyes. Uh, you can't yes. go to countries where the Zika virus might be. Um, so lots of various restrictions. Right. And I, I think I've read on some of the surrogacy boards as well that there are parents who want to control what the surrogates eat while they're pregnant. Um, Fortunately, my surrogate, um, my parents did not try to control what I ate while I was pregnant, but some intended parents want to have that control too. And and I can understand why they want a healthy baby. Right, so. right. But but that can be a little intrusive if yes. you're micromanaging everything you eat every day. Yes. <laughs> well, you you were fortunate. We um, we look for intended parents that are not going to micromanage. Um, but we we joke in the surrogacy world about the West Coast contract versus the East Coast contract because the West Coast contract usually has an organic food allowance in it, and um, uh, the uh, the folks on the West Coast tend to be a little bit uh, more uh, whole body health. Mind it, so I can see eating, that. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> eating organically, etc. We did have one case that um, it fell apart because the intended mother uh, wanted to give the organic food allowance to the the surrogate, but not to her entire family, and so of course that would pose problems with cooking for the entire right. family. And uh, that was just uh, kind of the tip of the iceberg on, on some of the issues in, in that particular situation. <laughs> so. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the financial side of things. Um, as, as you learned in Virginia, uh, a surrogate can't be paid compensation, 
but can receive um, uh, payments for medical expenses as well as ancillary expenses. And ancillary expenses includes reasonable household living expenses attributable to the pregnancy. So talk a little bit about how that worked in your in your situations. Um, in my case, we did just the the flat uh, monthly allowance. Allowance, yes. And I know in some cases they, and then they reimbursed me for like my medical co-pays. And so I paid those things up front and they reimbursed me. Um, I know in some cases people have worked out where they have used like a debit card that they pay their medical bills with and it's connected to the intended parents' accounts. We didn't do that for um, for me, but for us, we just did um, the monthly allowance and then they reimbursed me for my medical bills and I didn't um, ask for like groceries or any of those types of things because I would be buying those anyway. Right. So in some of the cases, there is not only the monthly allowance, but then there's the allowance for maternity clothes. And then uh, if you carry multiples, uh, if you have a C-section, yes. invasive procedures. So there can be those different variables. Um, what about life insurance? Was that a factor? Yes, they did um, purchase an additional life insurance policy for me that was for one year um, while I was pregnant and going through the process of, you know, getting pregnant. And that was just in case something were to happen to me so that my husband could take care of our family um, if something happened to me. And part of that was also, I think it was about Fifty or $75,000, I can't remember off the top of my head, went to them to reimburse them um, in case they had to go through the surrogacy process again. Because if I, obviously, if I passed away and something happened to the baby, then they would not be getting the end result of what they were hoping for, a, a new child. Right. And, and these, uh, the intended parents typically invest so much, especially on the medical side of things, yes. to have the eggs retrieved from the intended mother or to, to uh, get donor eggs and uh, then to form the embryos and to store the embryos and then to pay for the embryo transfer. And of course, talk a little bit about uh, on the medical side, what uh, had to happen f to get your body medically ready for that embryo transfer. Um, I had to do shots daily. Um, so my husband got to poke me in the behind <laughs> with a shot um, and he was not, he did not like needles. And so that was actually very challenging for him to have to give me a shot um, every day and actually as we got a little bit further into the process, it was two shots a day. Wow. So um, he, because they give you estrogen and progesterone. So he um, had, a, had a difficult time with that, but he got used to it after a while. And I always was sure not to make him angry before shot time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, you want to make sure that yeah. person's very gentle with those yes. shots, I would yes. imagine. So um, what, what were those uh, chemicals supposed to be doing? Estrogen and progesterone. Um, what the estrogen was to build the lining so that the embryo had a nice place to implant when it was time for the transfer. And then the progesterone was to keep the pregnancy um, because your body is, uh, it's basically foreign to them since it's not your pregnancy. So the progesterone was to keep you pregnant basically until... I think it was about 12 weeks, 10 or 12 weeks when I got to stop the shots when I was about 10 weeks pregnant. Okay. So basically they're, they're wanting to make sure that you keep that pregnancy. You yes. don't miscarry. Yes. So, 
Um, going back a little bit to the the life insurance piece. Um, so in these contracts, the, we want to make sure we're looking at all possible contingencies. And of course, there is a risk in being pregnant and, mm-hmm. and delivering. So it was important to protect your family in case something did happen to Absolutely. you. Yeah. Um, and then also the investment made by the intended parents in the whole process. So uh, so basically what you're saying is if there's a $300,000 policy or, or $500,000 policy that uh, your family would be the the beneficiary, or your husband would be the beneficiary of most of that policy. Correct. But then about fifty to seventy five thousand of that um, would go to the intended parents as the beneficiaries if something were to happen to you. Yes, that way because there is a lot of money that goes into the egg retrieval and making the embryos, and so before you even become pregnant as a surrogate, <clears throat> they are investing a lot of money, and so that would basically hopefully reimburse them some of that cost if something unfortunately would happen to you as well as the baby at that time. Right. And now also one of the things that is uh, being put into all the contracts is if something were to happen to the intended parents. So the intended parents now have to have their uh, estate plan documents in place and their guardian and trustee uh, arrangements in place because if something were to happen to them, the surrogate needs to be protected. And, right. you know, when you went into this, you were not planning on bringing another child home, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. And uh, so we want to make sure that uh, the, the surrogate is protected in terms of, one, who is taking this child, and two, um, who's going to continue to uh, meet the obligations, including the financial obligations that are in the contract. I, I'm pretty sure that was in my contract as well. If both, if, you know, if they went on a trip to Vegas or something while I was pregnant and their airplane crashed, that something was in place for where the what would happen to the baby. Well, as the as baby your attorney, I, I did make sure that they designated their guardians for sure. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure that yeah. was in there. So um, before we uh, go on break, and uh, if anybody wants to call into the show, it's 804-454-1366. Again, 804-454-1366. We would love to take your calls if you have any questions about uh, surrogacy. But uh, before we go on break, let's talk just a little bit about the process of of working with an attorney. How how did your attorney get paid? Um, Actually, it came from the intended parents. So the intended parents paid for your services for me. There you go. So, yeah. And and how was that process? Um, I thought it all went really smoothly. I was very fortunate that my intended parents did not, um, we, because I think it was because we discussed so much beforehand, before the contract process, that we were on the same page. And so we didn't have a lot of back and forth in contract negotiations because we pretty much were on the same page before we even got to that point. And that is a really critical um, piece, Brooke, is that making sure that all all of the financial terms, all of the other terms have been agreed upon before you get to that contract drafting. So there are no surprises, yes, right? Yes, I agree. And in your situation, I believe that I you also insisted that your attorney draft the contract. Yes, you did. Yes, um, which was 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 smart on your end. So we are going to take a break and uh, feel free to call in 804-454-1366. This is Colleen Quinn with Brooke Kalan and we're talking about surrogacy this morning. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Raising the Bar, Greater Richmond's premier law talk radio show. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. But the story that they tell is you just don't care. You people, you're mean, you hate women, you hate children, you hate clean air, and you hate clean water. And we have to combat that story with our own story, our own stories of truth. Tune in to Brother Craig, the Hatchet Man, Saturdays, 10 a.m. to noon, here on Richmond's Choice for Conservative Talk Radio, WNTW, 820 a.m. and 97.7 FM, The Answer. That ad you just heard, it could have been yours. That's right, you could have just heard your ad instead of some other guys. On AM820 and 97.7 FM, you can reach more potential customers, many just like you, who can add dollars to your bottom line. Our team will work with you to make the perfect ad for your business. So give us a call at 804-717-2000. That's 804-717-2000. Your first step to becoming a household name. Now, back to Raising the Bar. Call into the show with your stories and questions at 804-454-1366. Good morning. We are back. This is Attorney Colleen Quinn with Locke and Quinn in the Adoption and Surrogacy Law Center. And this is Raising the Bar, Greater RVA's Law Talk Radio Show. This morning we're talking about surrogacy and what is it like to be a surrogate or gestational carrier. Joining me today is Brooke Kalan, a three-time surrogate, in fact, carrying twins twice um, and having a total overall of seven pregnancies. Um, so Brooke has been my client and very open and willing uh, to share her experience. Uh, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the legal process. And so during the uh, contracting process, Brooke, did you feel like you uh, had your fair say and involvement in the terms of the contract? Oh, absolutely. Especially since I had you draft um, the contract for me. So it was the way I wanted it um, from the get-go. So that was very helpful, I feel like. Um, it was... I think, like I said, an, a fairly easy process for me and only because I had talked so much with the intended parents before and gotten to know them so well um, that we were pretty much on the same page when it came to that time. And those uh, contracts include everything you could possibly imagine, including if uh, you were uh, in a car wreck and had to be placed on life support. Yes. Um, if, if you ended up having a... Uh, personal injury claim against somebody for causing the car wreck and whether if you lost a pregnancy, whether the intended parents would share in that claim and of course all sorts of contingencies. Yeah, I think it was 50 or 55 pages long, yes. something like I think, that. I think it's grown to about 60 pages <laughs> well, now. Yes. So all, all sorts of, we, we, we always say that if we can think of all sorts of uh, morbid and terrible scenarios and put them in the contract, then hopefully they won't happen. Hopefully. And those are some of the things that the psychologists talked with us about as well as, you know, what if this would happen to you or, and all of the kind of morbid things that you don't want to 
think could happen to you. So that that was a very important part of the process, though. Right. For the um, for the uh, psychologist or the uh, licensed clinical social workers that are doing these screenings, that is a really important role that they play. They're not only evaluating you, but they're also making sure you really understand all of the risks that are going into these arrangements. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about the parentage and birth certificate um, amendment process. How, how did that go? Um, it was actually very easy for us. We basically, when you're in the hospital and the baby's born, and that was another thing that we had talked about beforehand is how we wanted to handle the delivery and whether the parents would be in there and um, how we would handle the hospital stay as well. I know some parents get a separate room and keep the baby with them, and all of my parents chose to just come to the room with me and um, we we kind of were one big happy family in the hospital, which was really nice that I still got to see the baby too. But um, after that, after the baby was born, we had to fill out, of course, the birth certificate paperwork in the hospital, just like you do for your own child. And we had to put my name and my husband's name and then we put the baby's name as the parents wanted it. And after, and I don't remember the timeline exactly. I'm you, sure have, you have to, you can't sign until three days after yes. birth, right? So, yeah. um, and then we applied for a birth certificate amendment, which basically changed the parents' names from our names to the intended parents. So they never got a piece of paper, you know, the little birth certificate paper that you get um, with our names on it. You just, it was just the paperwork. And then the actual birth certificate came with their names on it. Right. So Virginia has a relatively easy process. It was um, very simple. Um, you know, the the name of the surrogate does have to go down on at the hospital on the, the record of birth. Um, and, uh, but nobody asks for a birth certificate to be issued that lists you or right. your husband. And so the only birth certificate that gets issued is the one that lists the intended parents. It's interesting too, we've actually gotten, um, pre-birth orders from other states given full faith and credit and domesticated in uh, Virginia that ordered the hospital to put the intended parents down on the birth record. But the director of vital records has said, no, 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 that we're trying to track these arrangements. And if you do that, it's going to screw up our, our statistics and our tracking. Okay. Yeah. So we want to make sure we put the surrogate's name down and then we have the amendment paperwork that's filed. And that way we're able to be very orderly and be able to track you know, right. the number of these arrangements, which are increasing in frequency. In fact, we're seeing the number of surrogate arrangements go up while the number of adoptions has been going down. I think with medical technology and more people like you willing to to, to carry for somebody, that this is a new way of family building. Well, and I think with adoption, you run the risk of the biological mother changing her mind. And in the case of surrogacy, you you don't have that risk. So right. I think it becomes a better option for people who have fertility issues. Yeah. So uh, you were really lucky because you matched with three great families, but was there anybody along the way that was not really the right match? Well, so like I said, the first match was done online, but the second and third, we went through your um, service and you gave me some um, intended couples to talk with and so there was one intended couple who the mother, when I went to lunch with her, talked to me about wanting to transfer to herself as well as transfer to me. And that kind of raised a red flag to me. I was had some concerns with that and didn't feel like that would be the best match with 
for me. <laughs> right. Not 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 all uh, arrangements are the best arrangements. Yes. So um, that would have been a little bit different. We did have um, one situation where the surrogate carried twins and the intended mother got pregnant at the same time. Oh, wow. So they ended up having basically triplets. Um, wow. You know, <laughs> but uh, you would think that would be a difficult arrangement because you would hope the intended mother was kind of focused on your pregnancy, but if she was pregnant as well and focused on her own pregnancy or if she was on bed rest, et cetera, then you wouldn't have the close relationship that that you really wanted to kind of have. Exactly, and that's that was what it was. I wanted to have that close relationship with the mom, and um, she had had previous miscarriages, so I was also concerned that if she miscarried and I was still pregnant, what kind of relationship that would cause for us, and so... I just really wanted someone who I was able to connect with right. and, I, and I wasn't sure that would be able to happen with this couple. And that's an excellent point because most folks are looking for a surrogate because they've had difficulty carrying and have had miscarriages. So the in all likelihood, she may have had an, another miscarriage right. in, in that situation. So you were really thinking that through. So how did you explain this to your three boys? Um, well, my first surrogacy was when my youngest was only three. So they, the boys, those twin boys just turned seven in May. And so my youngest was three and my middle was five and my oldest was seven. So they didn't quite understand it. Um, I basically just kind of explained to them in very generic terms that the mom's tummy was broken and she couldn't carry a baby for herself. And so I was going to grow her baby for her. And um, I wanted to make sure that they knew this was not our baby to be giving away, um, that this was their baby and I was just carrying it for her. And so um, I just told them that they put her egg in my tummy and we were growing her baby for her. And and they seemed to accept it well. And um, they actually... The second surrogacy, same. I did the same thing. And by the third surrogacy, they were a little older, so they asked more questions. But um, they... But it was mommy's growing another egg. Yes, but they, they still knew that it wasn't our baby. Um, but they just had a few more questions. So There you go. Well, it's great um, because there are so many children's books out now um, for intended parents to explain the surrogacy process. But also there are more books coming um, out with regards to help the surrogate explain to her own children yes. um, what you are what you're doing and yes this baby's not coming home um, this baby's for another family so uh, the mental health professional group of the um, of ASRM uh, have a wonderful list of children's books on their website and also uh, they have a great Facebook page as well so having those tools as surrogacies become um, so much more accepted, we're starting to see more and more tools to help. You were one of those kind of pioneers that, that didn't have those tools. Right. So explaining it to your kids uh, is a really important piece of the, of the process. How did your uh, husband feel about you not only being a surrogate once, but three times? He actually was very supportive. Um, and he liked to tell people that I was pregnant, but not with his baby because he thought it was funny. <laughs> I did not get a kick out of that, but he did. But um, he was very supportive and he, you know, he actually would come to all the appointments with me. Um, so he, he supported the process the whole, the whole time. 
And I, like I said, I think that that's very, very, very important, very important to have a supportive husband. Right. And that's one of the things when we're looking at somebody uh, who wants to be a carrier or a surrogate is um, do they have that family support? Of course, if somebody's in the middle of a divorce um, or in the middle of litigation, then those are things that uh, will indicate that's not going to be a good carrier arrangement. Right. Um, the other thing was uh, was is our criminal background clearances now. Um, that's becoming more and more important. I actually had a case where um, the intended parents I was representing um, ended up uh, learning that their surrogate had an outstanding warrant for her arrest. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and they uh, she ended up spending the rest of the pregnancy in prison. Oh, gosh. Yes, and so, you know, we figured, okay— She's probably not doing drugs, alcohol, tobacco, or anything like that. Although, if you watched Orange Is the New Black, you you know you kind of wonder what does she have access to. Um, but uh, basically, the intended parents weren't able to go to those medical visits or even be present at the at the birth of the child. So, um, in your situation, you and the intended parents knew each other pretty intimately, and so. Um, having a background criminal background check wasn't quite as much of a necessity, but in some of these arrangements, the folks don't know each other as well, and having that sort of background check on all the parties um, can become something that that's definitely recommended. Oh, absolutely. So, <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about the um, the first family that you carried for. How was it that you ended up with twins? Um, we transferred to. She had had. I think it was six miscarriages previously. Aww. And so we, yes, we had transferred two hoping to get one and they both took the first try. So we were very fortunate. Um, and she got two wonderful little boys. Yes. So. And and so now the ASRM guidelines are recommending more just one embryo transfer because mm -hmm. that is so hard on your body, isn't it? It is. It was definitely a different pregnancy than, you know, because I had carried three boys previously, but they were one baby at a time. And so I, it didn't really start to bother me until I got further along in the beginning. It was, I think I was a little more tired, but um, in the beginning, it was not much different than my own pregnancies towards the end, just because I was so much, um, had so much more belly. It was definitely a different type of pregnancy. Um, you know, hard to lean over the bathtub and clean the tub and hard to get down and give my three-year-old a, a bath. Um, it was definitely more challenging carrying twins than than doing a singleton. Well, and you and I have that in common because I carry twins as well. Of course, they're 25 years old now, so they're much older. But I did not carry twins twice like you did, nor did I have other children at home that I was having to care for. So you you really are a trooper for taking taking that on. Um, and it was very fortunate that both embryos uh took in yes. in both cases because you carried twins a second time right I did and and actually the second time we originally transferred one and we did have a, a miscarriage with that one and so when we went um, and decided you know gave ourselves some time to grieve her and myself um, I think it actually was harder on me to lose somebody else's baby I had previously one after our third child, we had a miscarriage. Wow. Um, so I think it was harder on me just because I had someone else depending on me. Um, it was harder on me to lose somebody else's baby than it actually was to lose my own wow. because somebody else was, you know, depending on me. And it wasn't just my own grief. It was their grief as well. And so um, we did lose 
one for the second couple. And then we decided when we decided to go back again um, with them, we, I mean, talked a lot and, you know, consoled each other and decided to transfer to the second time. And and they have a five-year-old little boy and little girl who they actually um, gave their middle names after my husband and myself. Wow, so, that's so wonderful. I just went to their fifth birthday party and yeah. Oh, how fun. <laughs> that That is so nice of you to be willing to share your story of that miscarriage. Um, and so when you, when that happened, um, and of course, here I am, the lawyer asking from the contractual side <laughs> of things. But what were your obligations legally um, after you had that miscarriage? Um, in the contract, it said that we would try three times. Um, and so that was the legal aspect. But she had even she actually came back and left it up to me and said, if I did not want to try again, that that she was totally OK with that. But of course, she would love to try again. And so she um was not going to hold me to the the three times that were in the contract, but I, I wanted to to give that gift of, of a baby to her, and so we went back and transferred to, and we're very fortunate that they went to term. Yeah, yes. So normally, if a carrier does miscarry, um, then that's kind of an out provision. That, um, but there is that other provision in the contract that that does also say that you'll try. Um, again, so those those are kind of conflicting um, provisions in terms of you had an out, but you also had committed to so many transfer attempts. Right. Um, and in your situation, fortunately, you were close enough with those folks that you decided not to take that out. But no, I'm going to go ahead and, and we're going to give this another good old good old college try. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and so in that situation, you again carried, uh, twins. How was that carrying twins a second time? Was that harder? It was actually harder the second time. I, I mean, I had done it once and I didn't think it would be that big of a deal, but at, towards the end of the pregnancy, I ended up with high blood pressure. And so we had to do an emergency C-section where I had to be put to sleep. Wow. Um, so nobody got to come in you know, to the delivery room or the operating room for the, for that. Whereas the first time around my husband and the intended mom got to be there, even though that was a C-section, the hospital was very accommodating and allowed us to have my husband and the intended mom in there. And this time, since I had to be put to sleep, since it was an emergency C-section, um, they didn't allow anybody in there with me. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, we have about 10 minutes left in the show. If anybody would like to call in, the phone number is 804-454-1366. This is attorney Colleen Quinn, and I'm here today with three-time surrogate Brooke Colon, the first two times carrying twins. Um, and we're about to talk about the third time. But if you have any questions, call into the show, 804-454-1366. Uh, any questions about surrogacy or being a gestational carrier? So, Brooke, let's talk about the third time. I can't believe you went for a third. So the third time we actually decided just to transfer one um, and it took the first time and he just turned three in September and I was able actually to um, do a VBAC and so I didn't have to have a C-section which was wonderful um, and the parents got to be in the delivery room and my husband was in the delivery room and so it, it was actually um, a, a great experience. Um, I did actually, which made it a little traumatic at the end after the baby was born. And um, I did hemorrhage afterwards. I oh, had a wow. postpartum hemorrhage. So 
Um, hence why it's wonderful to have in the contract if anything happens to, cause it was, it was scary for a while. Um, but everything turned out okay. And I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful doctor who took care of it quickly. So. Wow. That's really good. And, and obviously your, you were, your reproductive capabilities were still intact because you accidentally had your daughter not that long ago. Yes. And I I recently have a a 10 month little girl. So, um, and everything went wonderful with that pregnancy as well. So I've been very fortunate. And you were able to see the excitement on the intended parent's face for that delivery because you were wide awake for that one. Yes. And there's actually a, a beautiful picture on Facebook that she's shared several times of her standing next to me, um, holding the baby because the doctor kind of just let him come out onto the bed and he told her, cause she just looked at him and he told her, pick up your child. <laughs> and she wasn't, you know, it was, so just, it's a wonderful picture of it's her and I and, um, her husband and she's holding the baby next to me and we're all crying. And it's just, it's just a beautiful picture. It just shows the raw emotion of what we went through. Which is really wonderful. And in fact, that family um, shared their story with the TV station not that long ago. And uh, that was a a beautiful story um, because you've stayed in touch with that family as well. Right. So so what type of person do you think it takes to be a surrogate or gestational carrier? Um, I think you have to be caring and I think you have to be a strong person. Um, Again, have a supportive husband and... Um, I, I think I basically knew that I couldn't do it if it was my own egg. And so I knew that I had to do gestational surrogacy. And really, um, you you have to jump in with both feet. It's it's a process and it it takes a lot of commitment. What was the level of communication that you had with the intended parents over the, the three times that you carried? Um, we pretty much either texted or talked every day. Um, fortunately, with technology, that was possible. And so, and definitely the last surrogacy, we, she came and she visited while I was pregnant. And since we live so close, um, I actually was, I'm a teacher now, but I was staying at home watching children and she would come and just hang out with me during the day. Um, So we we built a really great relationship together and, um, you know, we would go to lunch and just, it was a wonderful relationship. And actually I had great relationships all three times. I was very fortunate. So what was the hardest thing about being a carrier? I think in the end, when it's all over, I think that's the hardest thing, just because you're so used to that connection, or I was very used to that connection with the mom and the dad. I mean, of course, I was closer with the mom, but the, that connection and that friendship and that bond, and then they have a newborn to take care of, and right. that just takes so much of your time. And so then we're not texting every day and every couple minutes. And um, so just that, you know, the once that is, it's all over. It that I think that was the most challenging part, and not that totally, not that I wanted the, to be pregnant or have the baby anymore. Just that that relationship changed. Right, right. Because the intended parents now have a newborn, yes. or in in your in two of your cases, they had two newborns. Right, and so of course their focus now has shifted to taking care of their kids. Yes, um, rightfully and, so. Yeah. <laughs> But, but suddenly you're kind of left in the dark. Yes. And so that, that can be um, 
that can be emotionally challenging, I imagine. Yeah, especially when you have all those hormones after pregnancy going through your body. Um, It is. It's emotionally challenging. The end, I think, was the hardest part for me, just that it, the finalization that it was over. And I just enjoyed so much um, being pregnant and being a part of their lives every day and then it's over. Right. Um, but I mean, we still talk and they, we still text and we still visit, but it's just different now. Yeah. That's one of the things that the mental health professionals um, do a good job of is basically preparing you for, yes. okay, after the birth, there's going to be a shift in the attention given right? and you need to be ready for that um, because it's it's just natural. I mean, a lot of the intended parents do try to stay in touch with their carrier, but, but tending to a newborn is a lot of work and it you're is. exhausted. Yes. You know? And I know that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, for any of your um, uh, surrogacy situations, did you provide breast milk or was that asked of you? I did actually for all three. Um, for the first one, I did about six or eight weeks um, just because we had to pump and ship, which was tough to ship, you know, pack it all up and ship it to them since they lived in Maryland. So we shipped it to them. And I think I did it for about eight weeks. Um, and then the second surrogacy, since they live so close, they were able to come pick it up, which was much more convenient. So I did a little bit longer for them. I think we were um, about four months. I think they were about four months when I stopped. And then the last surrogacy, I actually, um, he was born in September and I pumped through like March, but was able to get enough pumped and stored for them that he was able to make it through his first birthday um, on stored breast milk. So Wow. So when you shipped, I take it it has to be refrigerated, right? Yes. We had to, that was the process was getting it all packed up and in a cooler and then, um, then we had to use dry ice and then we put it at the cooler in a box and packed newspaper around those boxes. So it was a process to ship it to them for sure. That, that's uh, really amazing that you were willing to do that for those families and well for the babies. Yes. Yeah. Cause they really yes. got that benefit. So, um, what has been the easiest thing for you about having been a three time surrogate? Um, I think just that I've had such such wonderful relationships with them. It's been, it's been so nice to just keep in touch and to be able to go to the birthday parties and, um, and the pregnancies themselves were pretty much easy too. So I just have had really been fortunate enough to have really great pregnancies and have wonderful families to carry for and been very fortunate that they have stuck to their word and kept in touch with me. Um, because I know they're, I've read some things on Facebook, too, of families who say they're going to keep in touch and then they don't end up keeping in touch for one reason or another. And so I'm just happy that it all has worked out the way that I had imagined that it would. And well, that's an important part of the contract drafting, too, is basically uh, putting in there whether or not the intended parents are going to stay in touch. And, you know, it's it's pretty similar to adoption situations with um, with birth mothers now you know, in your situation, you're not genetically related to that child, but uh, you're still curious about how that child's doing. You you brought that child into the world. Right. And so you want to know that the child's doing well, that that child that spent 
10 months inside you yes. <laughs> is flourishing. Yes. Um, so having, uh, getting pictures or, or uh, updates, et cetera, getting a text just to know is really important. Thank you for joining us today, Brooke. Uh, we were talking about a surrogacy. Brooke is a three-time surrogate. And if you did not catch the whole show, it'll be on the Lock and Quinn uh, Facebook page. Um, and please join us next week when my associate Katie Dean will be talking about disability law. Thank you.